You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast with a couple of one-star hosts, Chris 10K Trevino and Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Part of the USCfootball.com podcast family, the Cilantro Boys talk about everything from commitment breakdowns, game analysis, old recruiting stories, and of course, some unsubstantiated rumors. And now, here are your hosts, 18K and Gerald. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits. I'm still not used to the fact that I don't have to do my standard intro anymore because we have a snazzy new recorded professional introduction. It takes so much pressure off of me. Gerard, I don't know what to do with all this free time on my hands, not having to do an intro. You have to sign on the line, which is dotted. Because only one thing counts in this life. Get them to sign on the line, which is dotted. I feel like we're going to be hearing this a lot. Gerard has just been doing this quote like nonstop through the first like pre-recording warmups for our show. So I feel like that's going to be kind of the theme for this episode. Gerard, I don't know if you feel some kind of way because, you know, kind of people were jumping in on the comments of our last episode about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross and blue chips kind of coming after you kind of like they were on my side about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross being a more kind of prevalent quote machine for our podcasts with all those uh, sound bites I was using. Well, no, I would agree with that. Blue Chips isn't really a movie with a lot of great quotes, not as many as the program. Program is underrated. Program has some funny, interesting quotes. And maybe it's just because in high school football, we watched that movie every Friday afternoon before we go play Friday night. So maybe it just resonates with me a little more, but Blue Chips is a good, good movie. I still encourage you, if you are a recruitnik on any level, even though it's a basketball movie, it's not really so much about basketball so much as it is about the process. And it's one of those movies when I originally watched it, I wasn't even out of high school. I thought, yeah, but things aren't like that anymore. (laughs) Well, 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 welcome to the era of NIL. I actually pulled up some clips of blue chips on YouTube just because I just wanted to see like, okay, is this going to be like straight quote magic that I can pull from for next episode just to like appease you and show you, hey, look, I I found something. But I didn't really get any of those. I I watched the scene where Nick Nolte like discovers uh, Dion, Dion is his name, Shaq, whatever, uh, sees him play for the first time in that weird underground brick uh, court and you know begins his recruitment of Dion. So yeah, it looks like an interesting. This is a '90s movie, 
This is early 2000s yeah. movie. 90s? This is, okay. I think this is, a, if I recall, it's a 90s movie. There are some good quotes. Uh, Penny Hardaway's mother has a very good quote about them not being Catholic, but she sends them to the Catholic schools because the nuns don't take no shit. And that was a good quote. <laughs> are you saying Penny Hardaway's actual mother it plays a character in this movie? No, no. Oh. She's an actress. <laughs> oh. Penny Hardaway's mother is an actress? Moving along to the cold open. What? what okay. We, we're off. We're obviously on different plot points for this movie or for this show to start things off. Just a couple of things I want to address at the top of this show. It has been a very, very busy day. There was a commitment early in the morning. Today is the first day of Elite 11. I was at uh, Manhattan Beach all this morning for check-in for the Elite 11. I got to go back to Elite 11 for the first day of workouts on the field, which start in about, oh, I don't know, two hours. I don't have to be there on time. But what I'm telling you this for is because we are going to try to be efficient for this episode of the podcast. There are a lot of things to talk about. Two yeah, commitments, golden hour <laughs> preview, some other stuff we're going to get to. Gerard was at another Elite camp. So we're just going to try to be more efficient. No, that does not mean we are cutting time or we're shortening segments i'm just need to be out of here at an efficient time and still edit this podcast so you guys can have it for thursday morning so we're not going to be doing listener questions uh for this week just to to save some time on the back end i know boo 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 so it's okay you're still going to get all the things you want in this episode it'll be fine i know eddie is probably as we, as he's listening to this, crafting a peristyle topic about how we don't love them anymore. We're not giving them a four-hour episode. Sorry for coming up two minutes short, by the way, on last week's episode. But the point is, we're going to be efficient in this episode. Before we jump into all this stuff, as always, thank you to Meredith Schlosser, the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits. You need someone to help you in this crazy housing market. She is the real estate agent to go with. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Seriously, go check out all the things she has going on on her business Instagram. All right, Gerard, the cold open could go one of two ways. We could go commitments or we could go golden hour preview. But for us, I feel like commitments always got to go first. And USC picked up two since our last episode, the first one being Chess Sire, Connecticut four-star edge rusher Elijah Newby, and then this morning, Hiram, Georgia four-star tight end Walter Matthews, who we've talked about as someone that was in the closer segment for that June 2nd first visit weekend. That brings the total to seven commitments out of that first weekend. And Elijah Newby was kind of a late addition ad that we talked about on the show not sure what segment we put him in, maybe the wild card segment. But yeah, USC picks up two talented athletic prospects for the 2024 class, giving them 10 right now and moving them up to number 16th in the nation, up from number 18. Number three in the Pac-12 because Stanford has had a run that has put them at number 10 in the country right now and would probably it would pl place them at number six in the Big Ten if you like your Big Ten comparison. So, Gerard, Elijah Newby, Walter Matthews, who do you want to start with? Well, let's talk a little bit about 
Pass rusher Elijah Newby, definitely an interesting player. 6'3", 190, 195 pounds, uh, listed as an edge rusher by 24-7 Sports. The edge rusher position, as we've talked about, is really two different positions. It's the seven technique and the five technique. But interestingly, when you watch Newby on film, he is more of a a, a linebacker than he is a rush end. He plays at the line of scrimmage, and he does play as a rush end for his high school football team, but he also plays quite a bit out over the slot. And of Mm -hmm. course, with so much RPO these days and so many schools using four receivers, you do find that you have to play your linebackers outside at the hash marks. And so, you know, he has a lot of time actually playing in the passing game. So he is a coverage type of linebacker, more of a guy that would be an old school Sam linebacker and the Sam linebacker position has basically been phased out of football. However, these things are circular and you could see teams start to use the Sam linebacker more as you see teams start to maybe go back to running the ball more out of the RPO. It really depends on matchups. But I think the interesting thing about newbie watching him, what hit me as I got into the film was Dane, this is kind of sort of how I would see USC using Eric Gentry this season, as opposed to last season. Now, we don't have 100% projection on what USC is going to do with Eric Gentry. We know he played Mike Linebacker last year, but I think that happened more out of utility and necessity than it was the position where his ceiling is the highest. I still think you want to put him at outside linebacker, and I think he does his most damage and is – the most unique as an athlete when he's out on those hash marks because of his length, because of the fact that offenses these days are using that slot and they're using those hash marks so much. You have so many tunnel screens, mesh screens. There's a lot of stuff happening in that area of the curl route and between the numbers and the hash marks. So I really kind of would love to see if USC from a personnel standpoint try to use Eric Gentry more out there now that you have Mason Cobb and you have Tackett Curtis. And some of this may come down to how much Tackett Curtis can absorb and how ready he is to play Mike linebacker at USC. But nevertheless, I see Elijah Newby and I see him playing the position that Eric Gentry maybe be great for eventually, you know, whether that happens at USC or it happens in the NFL the eventual position and what that is, which is really, I guess you would categorize it as a nickel linebacker, a nickel back that is really more linebacker. And this is not like something completely new. I'm not just trying to create a new position out of thin air. When uh, you had LSU go on their big run and their version of the tight front, and you have different versions of the tight front, Uh, USC used a more standardized version with Todd Orlando there. Uh, Georgia uses a mint front, which is a version of the tight front. Alabama has their version, et cetera. And it's really a little bit about where you line up your defensive linemen, you know, in terms of whether they're going to be four eyes, which is a four inside technique, or you actually shift one of those tackles over to three technique. You know, it's just small little variances. But with LSU, they actually had a player – that was more of a linebacker playing that position. And I believe they called it the star position. And I forget the name of the player. I know he was a recruit out of Memphis, 
And he was a safety in high school, but he broke built up to being about 230, 235. So he's about 6'2, 235. So he, he really was a bit bigger than a safety would be. But because he had that experience and coverage so much and playing in space, he was a guy that they were able to put out there opposite of the actual rush end. So you know, you could see something like that where if you have a linebacker who is athletic enough and has that height and, you know, obviously you're going to put a bit of weight on newbie. I mean, he's a guy that could definitely be 230, I think, for sure, when you're looking at his frame. Uh, that position, it could be an intriguing position to have from a personnel standpoint, just depending on the matchup. Again, when I talk about Eric Gentry moving out there and being kind of a a Sam outside linebacker, but not in the traditional sense that you're going to put him in the box or have him at the line of scrimmage, but actually line him up quite a bit over the slot. Uh, I think that that that's sort of the matchup against the teams, which their RPO is more run oriented. So UCLA, uh, if you're going up against a Utah, uh, Oregon, we'll see what Stanford does offensively, but I think they're going to continue to try to run the ball and spread you a little bit. And so those type of teams, which their production comes running the ball, but they're trying to run the ball in such a way that they're spreading you out at the same time. You don't maybe necessarily want to put a cornerback out there. Maybe you don't have a safety that you feel physically is playing at the line of scrimmage. Cause the thing is those type of teams specifically talking about Utah, they'll put a big tight end out there in the slot. So you've got a six, five, 250, 60 pound tight end. And if you've got a safety out there, that's only, you know, six foot, 190 pounds, maybe he's a little bigger and he's 6'2 and he's 210. That's still a difficult matchup in terms of shedding that block and trying to get out there to make sure that you can contain the run. So when you look at a guy like Eric Gentry or maybe down the line, Elijah Newby, that's a position where you actually have a real linebacker out there and a guy that's used to shedding blocks. And that is something that Newby does pretty well in the run game. You watch him take on multiple blocks. Uh, he's able to sort of, you know, sort of set up and shed and has good eyes in the offensive backfield. That's one thing that I saw immediately with him. Uh, similar to Bra uh, Braylon Shelby in terms of his vision and being able to see he's not as big and as athletic as Braylon Shelby. Braylon Shelby's a bit of a freak of nature from watching him on film. And he has this sort of je ne sais quoi instinct of playing in space and being able to use his frame and his long arms to play more than one uh, offensive player in the option at once, which is just a rare commodity to have. Elijah Newby doesn't necessarily flash like that, but he is a similar type of player and more so because you watch him outside and playing in coverage. He's really, really comfortable in coverage. And I think for some teams, if you had uh, maybe some guys up front on your high school football team that you're comfortable with the box, Elijah Newby might be a guy that's athletic enough that, you know, if he was playing for St. John Bosco or he was playing for a modern day, he could get away with playing strong safety. So he does have a lot of sense and awareness and open kind of the open sort of quick area uh, sense to be able to make plays and the vision to, to be very decisive and making those plays. And so uh, I do see him a bit like that instead of just a guy that you're going to look at and say, okay, we're going to put him at the line of scrimmage. You know, that's obviously going to be a bit down the line from a projection standpoint. It's hard to look at him now sub 200 pounds and figure that he's going to be a guy that's going to spend a lot of line, uh, time at the line of scrimmage being an edge uh, kind of a containment guy against the run. I found myself really enjoying watching Elijah Newby and his stats listed at six foot three. I believe uh, Brian Doan in his commitment story with him listed him at 
210 pounds, so it looks like he is adding weight, but a four-star prospect in the 24-7 sports rankings at 233rd in the nation, number 23 linebacker, number six prospect out of Connecticut. He is a three-star in the composite at 536 in the nation, number 53 linebacker in the country as well, number seven prospect out of Connecticut. Uh, chose USC over offers from Penn State, Stanford, Boston College, uh, had a lot of uh, Ivy League schools, Columbia, Dartmouth, Duke, uh, Kentucky, Louisville, Michigan, had an offer in Nebraska. So a pretty good offer list. You know, when you watch the tape, you have to remember that it is he is playing out of Connecticut, which even if it's a big school in Connecticut, it's still a small school anywhere else. There, we It's not the highest level of competition, but really fun film, really good film. You should go check that out if you have the time. Gerard, I did want to push back a little bit on your uh, marks about his athleticism. Yes, maybe he is not as athletic as a Braylon Shelby, who is, you know, shaping up to be a freak of nature. But Elijah Newby, I think, is pretty dang athletic. He runs a 10-9 PR on the 100 meter, jumps six foot eight in the high jump, and has a PR of 18 and nearly four inches in the long jump. And as you said, plays free safety, outside linebacker, and even wide receiver for his team. I think Elijah Newby is uh, pretty dang athletic. Yeah, no, I was going to follow up with the 10-9 that he ran in the 100 meters. I guess what I mean by athletic sort of freak of nature is in the box compared mm-hmm. to a Braylon Shelby. Just because Braylon Shelby is, you know, 240 pounds and he moves with such agility. Now you're going to run the 100 meters head to head. Elijah Newby is probably going to win all day long. But you have to kind of project Elijah Newby down the line at 230, 235 pounds and whether he's able to have that kind of athleticism where he's running, you know, sub 11 in the 100 meters, probably not. And then it's a bigger question as to, okay, as a guy that you're going to put at the line of scrimmage or just off the line of scrimmage, athletically, you have to start considering uh, power and strength as well. And so there are diminishing returns sometimes on how fast you are once you start putting on that weight and putting on that muscle. Not to say that you know he can't maintain similar athleticism and he can't still be very fast. We're just going to have to see. I think in terms of upside, if I was going to make a comparison at 230, 235, perhaps he's a guy like you, you know, Maybe he's a guy that you know, they can bring in if he is 210 right now and he's already put on a little bit of weight and we're going to have to watch film of him, obviously, senior year and, and how he plays with that weight, how he uses that weight to play at the line of scrimmage. You know, or is he a guy that needs to stay closer to that 215, 220 uh, range so he can be a little more mobile? And again, is a guy that uh, you're not going to get a mismatch so much if a team like Utah or Oregon's going to put tight ends out there on the slot and then run the ball at you, you know, spread you out, but still have big bodies out there that you're going to have to compete with and shed those blocks to be able to stop the run. So we'll see definitely a guy that USC had high on their board, a lot higher, I think than most recruiting publications, because as we said, before he came out for his official visit, Roy Manning went out there immediately as May evaluation started. And that's kind of where he started with May evaluation, May evaluations looking at Elijah Newby. So that tells you, you know, he, he saw something on film that he really liked. He wanted to get out and see him verify some things, just look at him uh, in terms of uh, frame and, you know, that, that sort of eyeballing, you know, 
the the real life what do you look like in person how tall are you really how much weight are you carrying how much weight can you carry and then you combine that with what you've already seen on film so they got that done immediately and that says to me that they're pretty high on him uh coming into the may evaluation period and obviously that locked down that visit and pushed for this commitment and i just wanted to say he also had an alabama offer that was a recent offer that he had picked up uh, it, over the spring, I believe it was. And he also posted himself, this isn't his official PR on the track websites, but he did post himself running a 10.66 as his new PR. I didn't make that the official one because I don't know if that was like wind aided or legal or what have you, but he has clearly run a 10.66. There's video of it. So yeah, it looks like uh, Elijah Newby a pretty dang athletic piece to this future Big Ten front. And we did want to do a callback to our mention about Instagram captions as past visits have gotten simple emojis, but Elijah Newby put a poetic uh, end or poetic prose about his USC visit where dreams collide with destiny. It looked like uh, he wrote it into, he willed it into, he willed it into reality excuse me that's what i'm trying to say with that uh with that think it before you can do it chris you have to think it before you can do it that is not a line from his uh (laughs) post but uh things that are from his post the path of greatness unfolds before me the decision lingers in the air the future hole the future holds its secrets stay tuned as the chapters of my story unfold and what that chapter is is a commitment to usc so usc picking up another good strong athletic long pass rusher for big 10 play a contrast to usc's other edge commitment cameron fountain who as we talked about last episode plays with his hand on the ground you know pure kind of pass rusher five technique kind of guy so usc is building a bunch of different front players for next season and beyond well, and to interject I, there, chris i mean okay. sorry to cut you off but go, go I mean, that ahead. was interesting thing about Cameron Fountain talking to him is that Roy Manning was recruiting him to be a stand-up end. So yeah, we have to kind of see how this goes. If they're both coming in for the same position, body type and stylistically, they look different. And I think Cameron Fountain definitely looks more like a five technique to me. I think he's an athletic five technique, but when you put him over to rush in and he's playing in the seven technique, not as much you know, could get away with playing that position for sure. But I think, you know, ceiling wise, it's definitely higher at playing five technique. Whereas newbie, you know, as he grows and he puts on more weight, could play that rush end spot. Again, don't see his linebackers like him play out there on an island as much as he does in the slot. You know, he really does play out there and he's very comfortable playing out and away from the line of scrimmage. And that's something that's just a bit unique. And, and maybe that's where I kind of see uh, Uchenna Nuwasu coming out of Narbonne. You know, he was a guy that was you know, really originally like 200-something pounds when he was coming out of Narbonne and then ended up leaving USC, uh, coming back to USC and put on a bunch of weight and had uh, quite a bit more in terms of his development and probably played closer to – I mean, he probably played closer to 240, 250 when it was all said and done. But I think he – ended up really starting for USC around 235. So it's hard, you know, if you're in that 6'1", 6'2", range, you've got to have really freakishly long arms to be able 
to you know set your blocks and, and then shed and keep those linemen off of you. And so I don't know necessarily what the legend newbie in terms of his wingspan. He does look like a kid though that frame wise is going to easily be able to put 230, 235. So uh if he runs a 1066 and I'll follow up, I'll look and see if there's some actual verified times uh for him. I mean his 10-9 might have been a 10-6-6 unofficially. I don't know if those were the same meets or what have you, but definitely want to follow up on that because 10-6-6 is – now that's a whole nother level of fast yeah. uh, if you're you know, 200, 210 pounds. There's not a lot of guys that get sub 10-8 realistically at that weight. So, yeah, that would that would be freakishly freakish. I mean that would be 10-6-6 at 210 pounds. Uh, I may take back what I say about his comparison <laughs> with Braylon Shelby. I mean Braylon Shelby is an absolute stud and we love him, but that would be – at 210 pounds would be next level uh, good. So we'll see. I'll, I'll follow up and, and check out some of the track websites and, and uh, do some uh, calls just to kind of see if uh, – that's a, a realistic time or he had the Santa Ana wins at his back. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, I had someone DM me after I put out that tweet about his track prowess and they were like, he runs a 10 six man, not a 10 nine. I was like, look, I have to go off like the verified what's on like a track net or whatever that main website is. So I know he posted on Twitter, but I have, I can't find that verified time on any site. So like, I have to yeah. like go with the, the, I have to go with the verified 10, nine, at that, but hey, if he runs a 10-6, he runs a 10-6, and we'll get that figured out. But yeah, that that changes a lot of things. If he runs it at you know six foot three, six foot four, two hundred ten pounds, that that obviously way opens the ceiling for his athletic ability and you know upside. So those 10, are those, is great. Ten nine is, is great. Yeah, ten nine is, is a great. really good time. So I mean, there's safeties that don't run that. <laughs> no, exactly. And there's yeah, a lot of guys that should be running track to get faster, so they do run that. But instead, they're spending all their times on seven on. But yeah, that's uh, but that's yeah, you kind of get into rarefied air when you're a guy that might be playing near the line of scrimmage and you're running seven ton eight. The next guy, as we talk about, you know, Cameron Fountain and Elijah Newby and these kind of different body types that USC is recruiting, we can also talk about that with the tight end room and what they're kind of building and kind of the overhaul that is going on with Lincoln Riley's offense there. But USC. Picked up another commitment bright and early this morning. Walter Matthews has no regard for West Coast time. He made his commitment at about 5 a.m. local time, and that is the six foot seven, 245-pound Hiram recruit. He is the number 90 overall prospect in the nation, number seven tight end, number 13 prospect out of Georgia. He's number 116 in the 24-7 sports composite, the number eight tight end in the composite as well. Chose USC basically over Florida. That was the head-to-head competition USC had. There are a lot of other SEC schools that have offered him. South Carolina, Arkansas, Auburn. Those are Miami, LSU, Michigan, Michigan State, Nebraska, North Carolina, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma. He had a very impressive list, but in the end it was Florida and USC. And Lincoln Riley and the Trojans closed out. He was in our closer group. This was someone we kind of hinted at that was possibly or was one of those last second emojis or unrevealed emojis and that gives usc seven commitments out of that june 2nd official visit weekend so cleaning the table when it comes to june 2nd walter matthews like i said six foot seven we have talked about him before as being a massive human being 
and someone that looks like a guy you would want to play left tackle. That That's how big he is. That's how good his frame looks. And it's like, yeah, we could put 60 more pounds on that guy and he would be all right. You know, you watch his tape and there's a lot of different tight end bodies. You know, he's the biggest guy in the room at this moment, you know, beating out the six foot six Deuce Robinson. But Deuce Robinson is a different kind of animal. You know, he's posting videos of him running 21 miles per hour. Walter Matthews is not a 21 miles per hour down the field kind of guy, but he can be a vertical threat. He's a little more, you know, he is more inline blocker. He has some of that on his tape as well. He said that Lincoln Riley wants to make him a vertical threat and use him as blocking as well, his blocking as well on the on the line of scrimmage. So he's kind of a more traditional kind of tight end. And, you know, we'll see what happens where his body changes when he gets on campus and goes through that. But USC stacking the tight end room for Big Ten play. USC, the new tight end you? Could it be? I mean, <laughs> this is an interesting pickup for USC for a couple of reasons. And the first reason is the fact that this is sort of the bizarro world quarterback position. In other words, where you would think for the 2024 class, you would have quarterbacks crawling over each other, trying to commit to Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury. It's the tight end position where USC not necessarily utilizing that position in the past few years, you know, going back to even the Clay Helton staff, we haven't seen the tight end utilized very much in the passing game yet. You're able to get Deuce Robinson away from Georgia, Georgia featuring the tight end position quite a, quite a bit in their national championship run. And now you get Walter Matthews, one of the top tight ends in the Southeast. And so definitely a Big shout out and a lot of credit has to go to Zach Hansen. I mean, mm-hmm. if you actually get some production out of the tight end position in the passing game in the next couple of years, I mean, he's going to get whoever he wants. It's uh, one of those things where despite that USC is landing top talent. And as you said, that's a really, really good looking room because in addition to Deuce Robinson, uh, USC was able to get Kate Eldridge, who's going to be probably an H back. For USC and a very good get and I think a very kind of underrated player in that particular position kind of looking at it you know in a vacuum of 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 what USC wants what they use what they need and what he's able to do you know just in general a three-star guy but because Kate Eldridge played running back in high school and was a pretty good running back in high school he was also pretty good on special teams just a really good overall athlete it sort of changes that dynamic of the H-back position where you're not just having your other tight end at that position, but having a little more specificity at that position, which I think is very important uh, for an offense. So you get a guy like Walter Matthews and he's able to follow up with Deuce Robinson. You also have Walker Lyons who's uh, waiting in the, uh, in, 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 in the, in the, what's the word? The wings. wings. Yeah. It'll uh, be like, he's part of this 2024 class as well with uh, Joey Olson and Walter Matthews. Basically, Walter Lyons is part of this one, too, as he will arrive next next summer off his Mormon mission. So it's like they're getting three tight ends in 2024. Exactly. Exactly. He's in Norway right now. And so he's, yeah, kind of waiting in the wings. And uh, so that's a that's an impressive looking room with a lot of talent, a lot of size and again, furthers 
the feeling like, yeah, USC is getting bigger offensively for sure. Uh, this is Big Ten ready USC. Let's go get some offensive linemen. Let's get some interior, interior guys that can maul. And let's go get some tight ends that have big bodies that we can use in the run game. And we can spread Deuce Robinson out wide, put him in the slot, wherever from a mismatch standpoint. And he's going to probably be playing against the defensive back. And that in the run game is an absolute mismatch. It's a mismatch in the passing game to some extent as well. But certainly in the run game, uh, that's what I was just talking about when we were talking about you know, maybe uh, from a personnel standpoint, defensively using Eric Gentry out there, or maybe an Elijah newbie, one of those linebackers to play that nickel spot instead of actually putting a defensive back out there. So yeah, very interesting uh, from an evaluation standpoint, he does play a lot of wide out, which we see with most of these tight ends. He's sort of a receiver first at the high school level, and he's kind of a big 50, 50 ball guy. He's just bigger. He's able to box out, yeah. doesn't necessarily play well with his hands. He doesn't catch the ball too much with his hands on film. He sort of bodies the ball a little bit. So not necessarily a natural receiver, of course, with that frame and that size. And we've seen him in person a few times now. You know, you think about the NFL and the trend in the NFL for offensive tackles and the first round picks that you've seen over the past few years and those guys not being the 6'5", 330-pound off of tackles coming out of high school, but rather guys that were multi-sport athletes playing other positions and growing in to playing offensive line. And so you keep that in the back of your head with Walter Matthews, you know, with that size, 6'7", 245. Uh, but uh, right now, I mean, USC's got a plan for him to play a tight end and to be a guy that's going to be more of the inline inline type of tight end as uh, opposite to maybe that H-back type position, which uh, Kate Eldridge and, um, you know, some of the guys that are maybe more familiar from a running back standpoint. Tabarucci. Yeah, Carson Tabarucci, Tabarachi is a guy that, you know, gets moved over there from playing linebacker. You know, he's only 6'1", 6'2", about 230 pounds. So that H-back position, just from a body profile standpoint, is a bit different. And USC getting a little more specific, as I said, with that position uh, as opposed to the tight end position. So tight end is really two different positions. You know, we talk about edge rushers being two different positions in the database and with rankings. But for USC, the tight end position is really two different positions that you're going to have quite a bit on the field because USC uses a lot of 11 personnel sets. But you're getting a guy that's going to be in line or he's going to be spread out wide as a Y. And then you're going to get the H back, which is going to be in motion a lot. You're going to get some wham blocks. You're going to get uh, him becoming more of a lead blocker in the run game. There's just so much more versatility at it at that room when you look at it on paper for the foreseeable future. I mean, I'm just including kind of the older guys in here, but you don't necessarily need to do that. But like you have Kate Eldridge and Carson Tabarachi, you know, those are obviously your two H-back kind of body types. You have Walter Matthews and then Walker Lyons, who I would consider more of a traditional tight end. Those are your kind of two traditional guys. You can throw Jude Wolf in there as being that kind of similar body type. And then you have kind of your flex out guys, you know, with Deuce, Deuce Robinson, who Lincoln Riley's on record as saying, you know, isn't a traditional tight end and will probably be more receiver than anything, obviously, with that athleticism and speed that he has with, you know, a Joey Olson, who we talked about when he committed is more of a wide out than a tight end as well. And then Lake McCree, who, you know, that was the same thing with him coming out of high school. He was a more 
uh, wide receiver type body, wasn't really polished as a blocker, has gotten better at that. But I would put him in that category as kind of the uh, the true pass catcher, the more flexed out, wide out kind of kind of tight end. So just a bunch of different looks that USC can give with their tight end tight end room and more versatility can never hurt an offense when you're especially going against kind of different programs now in the Big Ten. Yeah, McCree can kind of do both. He kind of splits because, yeah. you know, he's like 6'3", 6'4"-ish. Kind of a tweener. Kind of a tweener. And they've used him like that. You know, they they went through the tight end position quite a bit last season trying to figure out who's that inline guy and who has the agility to be someone that we can use in motion in the run game and the passing game. Because that H-back position, what's unique about it is that you do play a lot in motion. So you have to have good agility to be able to put your put your foot in the ground, square your shoulders, and get upfield and block. It's difficult. And then in the passing game, a lot of times what you find yourself doing is in motion, play action, and then you end up in the flats, and you've got to turn now, and you've got to get around and get your head around for that ball. And then once you catch that ball, you're obviously moving laterally, and you got to put your foot in the ground and get upfield. So it requires a certain type of athlete to play that position, and I think guys that have used to running the football uh, have a little better time transitioning just because they're used to the, the movement of having the ball in their hands and kind of moving forward with your shoulder square. And interesting enough, as I mentioned, it was the opening of the Elite 11. Well, Mal- Walter Matthews, I almost said Malter Matthews. Walter Matthews decided that today was the day that he wanted to commit to USC because he was returning to Southern California. He is in town for the Elite 11, part of the, uh, I forget what they call this group of skill players they, br- they bring in, but they bring in some guys from across the country to act as the pass catchers for these quarterbacks, and especially when they go into the 7-7 portion at the end. So Walter Matthews flew in today from Georgia to be part of the Elite 11 experience. So I was able to catch up with him. He was the only guy I really needed to talk to this morning at the uh, check-in with 247 and Student Sports and Elite 11. So I was there, ended up getting him right at the very end. He is a hard man to track down, even though he is 6'7", but I got him. We had a little bit of a chat. I put a story up on uscfootball.com. It's VIP for right now. But, yeah, I got a, got to talk to him about his decision. And it kind of boiled down to one thing, and that's Lincoln Riley. And that's something he has been steadfast in his communication with the media is that Lincoln Riley is the thing that set uh, USC apart from other schools and that relationship and how badly Lincoln Riley wanted him in this class. He was telling you know, Lincoln Riley was texting me every other day, you know, and to have the head coach kind of be almost like your primary recruiter. You know, that says a lot for these kids. And Walter Matthews really loves Southern California, the area and the staff. But above all, it was Lincoln Riley and how he has used that tight end position. And he wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, we have to make sure that uh, you don't refer to him as uh, Malter Matthews. That um, Malter Matthews. over well. Yeah, Just that, don't, that, uh, or or, or uh, Walter Mathau. That's uh, also one that we want to stay away from. But um, I don't understand that reference. But I feel like I should <laughs> understand that reference. But I'm gonna pass on that. 
but definitely, I mean, you, you got a little scoop uh, from that, and we'll see where that goes, that conversation that you had with him, and there's a little bit of scoop in that uh, VIP article. So check that out. Uh, the peristyle is definitely erupting uh, <laughs> over it right now, but um, you know, we'll see him and actually get some video of him working out tonight at uh, the Elite 11, and so uh, we'll see a little more of him, kind of like we did with Deuce Robinson last year, you know, yeah. where he was kind of the focal point for us, even though you had Caleb Williams there. Um, you had a, a couple other players there to keep an eye on, but it kind of became the Deuce Robinson show uh, that week. And this is probably going to be the uh, Walter Matthews show as opposed to the Walter Matthau show. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see what other pass catchers show up because there's always some interesting names that show up. You know, Makai Lemon was there last year for Malachi Nelson, Deuce Robinson, as you mentioned. So, Always a good, fun time to see those kids get out there and interact with some of the top QBs in the nation. It's funny because last year we were talking about Deuce Robinson and Dylan Raiola, who was there, and getting them to talk together and seeing them interact with each other. And then Dylan Raiola's here as the top gun going into this Elite 11. And then obviously last year as well, it's kind of coming up on the one-year anniversary of USC leaving for the Big Ten or the news that USC and UCLA were leaving for the Big Ten. Me and Ryan were on the field at Elite 11 when that news kind of broke. We had to rush to the studio, do a podcast. So it's funny how things look differently after after a year. And I think that's a perfect segue into our next topic, which I know a lot of people are very interested to hear about because one year ago, USC held their massive, historic, recruiting weekend they dubbed the golden hour well a year later we are back for the golden hour part two preview and just like we did with june 2nd just like we did with june 9th for june 16th we are putting the recruits in categories we're gonna go through those we're gonna rank them not really we're just gonna put them in these categories the first category is pretty easy gerard and that is the commitments because for this big weekend you want some commitments on hand to help, you know, be salesmen, help get that uh, that juice going like, hey, come be a part of this class. So there is a couple commitments that will be part of this big official visit weekend. Yeah, although ironically, USC has had most of their commitments already visit USC. So in a twist uh, different than last year, the June 16th weekend was the big weekend. And that's where you want to build that camaraderie. You want to have some momentum. And so you bring all your recruits in that are committed. And those guys are in the other recruits who are uncommitted ear. And they're trying to get some buzz going for the weekend. This weekend, because USC only had three commitments coming into the summer, you've only got three guys that are going to be on campus that are actual commits. You have more commits that I've already committed in the last couple of weekends. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting dynamic. It's a little different, of course. You know, I think uh, USC still definitely circling this week as their big push. And really, I mean, this is where they feel like after this weekend, the majority of the class is going to be settled. Yeah. And those three star, three guys, not three star guys, three commitments are Xavier Jordan, the local wide receiver out of Sierra Canyon, Joey Olson, who we've already talked about a little bit in the Walter Matthews section, the Oregon tight end four-star who has been steadfast in his commitment to USC. He has held on. He has been the stalwart of this class, even though it was deteriorating around him. And then Brian Jackson, the 
three-star running back out of McKinney, Texas, who you know was a guy who got the class back on track in terms of getting some commitments. He will be in town this weekend for another visit, his official visit, as he tries to you know woo some of these guys into committing. So, Gerard, you may start with whatever category you want to start with for the golden hour. Well, we started with the commits, so I'll follow up. Well, those don't really closers. count. Those, those don't, don't really count. count. Well, I tell you what, you know, Joey Olson, uh, a guy that out of the group that they had committed early was probably the one that I would have underlined been the guy that I would have picked to probably decommit first. And he has, as you said, been the stalwart of this class up there in Oregon, you know, by himself, basically at one point as the only commit in the 2024 class for USC and knowing that Oregon is still, you know, making a push towards him. He stayed committed. So he matters. That's a big commit for USC. And I think that's something that that loyalty, you know, USC is definitely going to maybe show that uh, on this uh, particular weekend when he has all these other guys that are now sort of followed his lead. Um, I think with the closers, you know, we'll just start at the top with the five star. A always BBC closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. Sorry, I had to. USC is going to try to close with Lilburn Parkview five-star wide receiver Mike Matthews. Now, Mike Matthews, there's been a lot of talk of Florida, been a lot of talk of Tennessee, and he's down there in Georgia, and he's a five-star, and it's difficult to get five stars out of the SEC. But this is USC's hot in Georgia, Gerard. USC's hot in Georgia right now. They're hot. They got another Matthews, no relate relation to my knowledge. Uh, but this is one where USC, we've talked about in the past, has some angles, has some ties. He's been to USC already, and I think this is kind of a closer for them. I think it comes down to them and whatever SEC school is basically going to be on top in his ear last. And it might be Tennessee. It might be Florida. Uh, you really don't know at this point. Could be Georgia, in fact. But USC really been successful recruiting wide receivers. And this is one where it's sort of set up, you know, with Dennis Simmons, uh, Luke Hewitt has been doing a lot of legwork with the wide receiver position, but this could be sort of, you know, the top dog for USC. And so they're going to try to close the deal with him this weekend. Another one, Silsby, Texas, four-star wide receiver, Draylon Miller. And we've heard a lot about Draylon Miller over the year and how USC has kind of been that favorite. There's been several other schools that have been mentioned uh, you know, LSU was talked about uh, by still Steve Wiltfong for a while. I've heard a lot about Texas A&M being a big player for him. Uh, we know Miami has been in there as well. And so I think it's been USC and everybody else kind of reminds me a bit of uh, Taylor Tatum's recruitment in terms of, you know, there's 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 another school uh, always sort of in there. Uh, but USC has been sort of that constant and felt like the favorite for the longest. And so that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, for sure locked up, but it means that it's time to close the deal because mm -hmm. he's been to USC before. He has a great relationship with the coaching staff. 
Uh, he likes everything about USC. And so this is sort of the, okay, you've seen everything you need to see. You know you want to make a decision here soon. So he's on that closer list for sure for USC. I think Bellflower, California, four-star cornerback, Marcellus Williams has to be on that list. Again, another guy that's very familiar with USC. He's more familiar with USC than anybody on the list. He's more familiar with USC than any recruit in the 2024 class. Maybe because, even some coaches. <laughs> maybe some coaches because his brother uh, has been uh, at, at USC, uh, not just as a player, but as a recruit. So even knowing the previous coaching staff. Uh, so he has a lot of history with USC and this is USC's time to really overly impress him. Now you and I have always had that read talking to Marcellus that you shouldn't assume he ends up at USC. You know, there's been some crystal balls. That's certainly the favorite. He has been predicted that he will commit to USC, but for whatever reason, you and I speaking to him on different occasions have kind of felt like, you know, Maybe there is some other school out there that can kind of change the narrative for him. Uh, thus far, it hasn't happened. So we'll see. USC's trying to close the deal this weekend, right here, right and now. And it'll be a final visit, his final official for June. So, yeah, on so, paper, I mean, it's there. Exactly. The, the writing is sort of on the wall with that. Uh, Clearwater, Florida, four-star center Jason Zendamella is going to be another guy already been on campus, taking an unofficial visit to USC. Now, interestingly enough, and we may get into this uh, a little later, but uh, Devin Brooks, the uh, center prospect out of Clackamas, Oregon, a guy that uh, was really high on USC. He took his visit to Oregon last weekend, committed to Oregon. That was something that we talked about on the podcast. USC just trying to get him through that visit, and we knew that Oregon was trying to close on him that weekend. They did not want him visiting USC. It's like, listen, this is where your recruitment ends, or we got to go somewhere else. And so they were able to lock him down. The other center in that equation that USC has been recruiting has been Jason Zandamella. And so this is the weekend, Clearwater, Florida, you know, kind of the little honey hole going for USC. It's like the McKinney, Texas of Florida. Uh, they're trying to be able to close the deal on him and be able to get him committed as a center prospect. Uh, West Hills, uh, four-star defensive back safety, Marquis Gallegos. And Marquis Gallegos is a guy that we kind of felt like, you know, USC's been the lead school for him for a while now. Um, he's a guy we kind of hinted maybe an emoji type of guy. He's going to come in this weekend, and you would think this is a closer weekend for him. This is, uh, uh, I think, the only visit that he has scheduled at this point. He canceled visits to Notre Dame and Michigan already, and Michigan was kind of a school that was in play for him. And so canceling that visit, a lot of people feel like it's basically USC and only USC at this point. Uh, Jasper, Texas, four-star linebacker, Ty Anthony Smith, an interesting prospect here, a guy that you look at and you see, wow, maybe he's kind of an Elijah Newby type of outside linebacker. But if you watch Ty Anthony Smith play, he's a middle linebacker. He's not a big guy. He's about 6'2", 6'3", 205 pounds, but he plays middle linebacker. So I think this is more of a maybe Kingston, Valaya Muasa, you know, kind of feeling out where he is. Uh, you bring in Ty Anthony uh, Smith, a, a player that I think for a long time has uh, really been favoring USC. But 
I do wonder where he is on the board uh, across from some other linebackers. And you're only going to take so many linebackers in this class. So we'll get into a little bit of the Riley rocket ship and, and talk about that because that is also a factor in some of these recruitments. Uh, Gaithersburg, uh, Maryland, four-star defensive end, edge rusher, Jalen Harvey, a guy that uh, very early on, I think got some crystal balls for USC and a guy that we, you know, kind of had on the radar. He took an unofficial visit out here. Um, I think it was at the end of February, early March, really likes USC, but he needed to have his mom out here. That's kind of going to be the deal breaker for him is how comfortable his mom is from him with him going away from home. Penn state is the other school here. We really could have put Jalen Harvey in the sort of play from behind category, which we changed around a little bit this week because I think Penn State does lead. He's already taken his official visit there. There were some rumors maybe he was going to shut it down for Penn State. He didn't shut it down for Penn State after that visit. And so he still got this official visit out to USC. And we know that for a long time, he really likes USC. So it's going to be a matter of does his family really like USC? I mean, if his family gets on board, like Cameron Fountain's family gets on board, it's a done deal here. So that's going to be an interesting one. Um, we have Arlington, Texas, four-star offensive lineman, Makai Siena. And Makai Siena is an interesting prospect. He's also already been on campus for USC. It's hard to know who's USC's greatest competition here. He's very quiet, doesn't do a lot of interviews. Uh, basically, uh, his recruitment kind of goes through his mother. And so there's been some feeling for a while that maybe Texas A&M was there maybe one of the local schools because his mom would want to keep him close to home. But we do know that he has a very good relationship with the USC coaching staff and he has been out here and he likes USC. And so, you know, there have been some other things that have happened at offensive line recruiting and being that right now, Makai Siena is still scheduled for his official visit. You got to think that USC feels pretty confident and pretty good about getting him. Uh, so that's kind of the closer list right now coming into this weekend. Then you have the wild cards. You have Long Beach. Uh, wild card, bitches! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you got to let me know not to just flow right into the next segment without, you know, your just, little. Just, just when you go to the next session, just give me a, like a pause. Just give just me a take pause. A breath, Gerard. Just, just take, take a breath. A, just take a breath. breath already. <laughs> just, just take a breath here. You take another breath. Wild card, bitches! All right, you're on the wild card category. And USC's gotten some commitments from the wild card category. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to place Long Beach Milliken wide receiver Ryan Pelham in the wild card spot. Now, you know, Pelham has kind of been organs to lose, but I think this is more a result of, you know, what happens with Mike Matthews. You know, does USC feel good about Mike Matthews coming away from this weekend? This is a little bit of a rocket ship uh, <laughs> recruitment. This is a, a category onto its own. If Pelham is ready to go and wants to commit early, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out with some of the other wide receivers. Because I think right now USC only really wants to take three. So there's going to be an odd man out here. The question is going to be, does that odd man out take himself out of the running or does USC have to kind of push along and somebody, you know, doesn't get a chair when the music stops. So we'll see what happens with Ryan Pelham again. You know, I think Oregon has always kind of looked at the team to beat 
so you could say coming from behind, but I don't know. USC can recruit receivers. Uh, they've done a very good job at it, and it could be one of those visits where it just blows him out of the water and he wants to commit on the spot. I think he would probably have to commit on the spot. Uh, only uh, Maryland four-star defensive end, Darian Mayo. Don't know a lot about him. Uh, if I recall, he was actually out here, I think, last year. He's, he's been a I think he's been a, it's a campus at least two times. I think he's oh. made a couple unofficial visits. Okay, a couple. Okay, so I, I remember that he was here. I could be wrong on that, but he's definitely been one on the sideline for a game. Yeah, because he was a skinny sort of slim kid, and we're looking at him going, all right, like where does he fit into the grand scheme of things? And now, you know, he's 250-plus pounds. It's one of those things where – you know, guys just they could put on that weight and they have that frame and they become totally different players by the time they're seniors, which is why you want to recruit the best seniors out of high school and not the best sophomores out of high school. So Darian Mayo, because he's been here before, um, you could argue, well, he has to uh, be in that uh, sort of closer category. I don't know if I would put him in the closer category, because, again, you know, if Javon Harvey says I want to be a Trojan, you know, is Darian Mayo a five technique for USC or is he a guy that you could put even more weight on and then ends up being a defensive tackle? Now, I don't really know right now with him. So that's a, I'm going to put him as a wild card right now, but um, could potentially be a guy if you feel like he's putting on another 30 pounds and you can actually put him as a defensive tackle. Uh, San Mateo, California, four-star safety, Sione Lalea. Now, he's a, a late ad, a guy that I actually heard maybe was going to come in last weekend. That was sort of the hint as in there might be another visitor coming might in. Might sneak him in a little bit. Yeah, with Peyton Woodyard and Kingston Valeamu Asa, but he ends up getting bumped to this weekend. A wild card because he likes USC and he's been talking up USC, but we weren't necessarily sure like where he was on the board. Oregon's been there. Uh, God, I can't even remember. I think Utah's gotten an official visit. I think Miami's been involved. Uh, he's a little more up in the air, but certainly a guy that I wouldn't be shocked if he committed to USC this weekend. So he has to be in the wild card. Uh, and he's category. a JUCO, correct? He's a junior college. He's the number yeah. one junior college prospect uh, in the nation, according to 24-7 Sports, and the number one junior college safety, according to 27 sports and he's a big kid he's a 6'4 195 pound and I say safety but you know really a corner that's probably a boundary safety slash perhaps nickel position and you know something that uh, we really weren't going to talk about specifically but Latrell McCutcheon ends up uh, getting into I don't want to say the portal because I think officially he can't be in the portal I, I don't either. know either the ether he's, what, he's in the ether the transfer the ether, ether. The, the event horizon of the the porthole um he's he's not technically <laughs> in the portal because there are those windows which you can get into the database but um it looks like he's going to transfer out right now that's that's the word so you could see where they go after another bigger guy that uh you know like a like a, a Terraquan Figgins who plays corner and, and has that ability to play corner, but is a bigger body and might be better served actually playing over the slot, playing inside. So uh, another sort of big corner slash safety hybrid type of player on the board for USC. And before I get into the next category, do we have any audio clips we need to play? I don't have a perfect audio clip for the next group, but I have something that I think maybe kind of works. So I'm just going to go with it. Second prize is set of stake now. Third prize is you're fired. That's like the closest I got for this category. 
<laughs> well, we have the Outsiders, uh, otherwise known as the Playing From Behind bunch. Uh, we have Glenville, Ohio, four-star cornerback Bryce West. And coming from Glenville, you know that the number one team for him right now is Ohio State. And you have Chicago, Illinois, four-star edge rusher Marquise Lightfoot. No relation to Mayor Lightfoot. So these two, from what I've been told, have leaders and schools that they like. Uh, I believe Lightfoot is Michigan, and like I said, Bryce West is Ohio State. Uh, now, you know, I, I I I hesitate a little bit with Lightfoot. I've been told from those in the know in the region, long shot for USC. But of course, uh, given that Cameron Fountain was a long shot for USC and subsequently <laughs> committed to USC within 12 hours of me talking to him, you know, it does make you a little hesitant that USC, if they really want to make that move, could potentially make that move. But have to say with all honesty, uh, the assessment right now is these these are the outsiders, right? And there is a movie called The Outsiders, a very good movie. Uh, you might check into that. Is that it's the old. Warriors one? Is that the Warrior one? No. Come out and play? What no, that? no. That's uh, with John Travolta. Uh, the Outsiders, I believe, is the movie with uh, a young Tom Cruise, a young uh, uh, Emilio Estevez, Pat, Patrick Swayze, um rob lowe it's like ridiculous it's frank sis for coppola yeah it's like a ridiculous movie when you see all these young actors that turned out to be like a-list guys and they're all like in their early teens so Swayze? it's a, it's a good movie yeah patrick Swayze. Ooh, yeah. diane lane i'm sold it's it's a it's a decent movie it's a you know not not a not a movie that has anything to do with recruiting but <laughs> nevertheless maybe <laughs> i'll make it i'll make it sound by somewhere along there from uh, from Tom Cruise or Emilio Estevez that works for uh, the podcast, but uh, yeah, that's the outsiders, uh, the the recruits that USC's, uh, you know, at least on paper behind on. Gerard, how many edge rushers can they take? Are they just saying screw defensive linemen? We'll just make them all edge rushers. Well, this is something that we saw a pattern at Oklahoma with Alex Grinch, where they over recruited by a pretty significant ratio defensive ends to defensive tackles. So they didn't sign. And I had a statistic here uh, when we were breaking down, uh, you know, Lincoln, Lincoln Riley coming to USC and, and Alex Grinch and the defense that they run, et cetera. And I want to say there was only two, maybe three defensive linemen that they actually signed out of high school. And, and one of those actually was a Juco kid. So it wasn't out of high school, but that were over like 280 pounds. And so, I think that's really what led to some of the criticism of Alex Grinch trying to play small ball at Oklahoma. And when they got into the college football playoffs, getting pushed around and bullied by some of those Big Ten and SEC schools. And so, you know, that's a little bit of something that you're seeing here, you know, as, as Chris kind of looks at it and, and points out. Now, that doesn't mean, however, that a guy and we just talked a little bit about Darian Mayo it can't end up being 280, 285. It, it, you can look at it from, you know, the perspective of the NFL recruiting offensive tackles and they want to get guys and, and that, you know, have that good weight and are athletic. So in college, you may be 240, 250 pounds, but they build you up to that 290 pounds. Now it takes a specific frame and a certain type of player to be able to put on that weight and maintain a certain level of athleticism. But nevertheless, you could take that philosophy 
and do it on the defensive line as well. You could say, hey, we're going to go to get a kid like Christian Rector. Christian Rector was 240 pounds coming out of Loyal High School. He was a guy that was a straight defensive end. He ended up being more of a defensive tackle at USC. Same thing with Sean Cody. Sean Cody was 240, 250 pounds coming out of Los Altos High School. He was the number one defensive end in the nation that year, and he ends up being a three technique and being 290, 300 pounds. So you do have the ability to get those players and build them up through the program. It takes time. And obviously the caveat is you have to build them up. You have to have the strength conditioning program and nutrition program to make sure that you get those guys to the, the, the weight that you need to be able to play on the interior defensive line or on the offensive line. Gerard, these are our visitors for the golden hour. A-I-D-A. Get out there. You got the prospects coming in. You think they came in to get out of the rain? A lot of prospects coming in for this weekend. Gerard, I do have one final question as we talk about this preview for the Golden Hour. Will there be a luau? Yes or no? Do they go back to the luau? That's a great question. <sighs> you know, Have, have you made your these? decision for Christ? <laughs> you know, it going to be a luau? Is it going <laughs> to be a barbecue is it gonna be a mexican fiesta what is it gonna be you know uh it's funny because all the clips a lot of the peristylers put the video from youtube on the board so i actually got to see you know the scenes with oh. uh from, from those audio clips and uh they made sense i didn't get to see that clip because there was some controversy <laughs> about that clip last week where you took it as for christ's sake and i took it as like for Christ for our Lord and savior. Yeah. yeah. Like I, so I, I haven't seen the context of that clip to really make a decision on that yet, but for the Luau, I, you know, I don't know. We've kind of played with this idea of you could go a lot of different ways, you know, and a lot of people always say, well, yeah, you could have sushi. Listen, you, that's too much of a gamble. You never know who's going to like sushi and who's not going to like sushi. With a luau, it's like... You could have a little sushi bar. Just some a little... Yeah, someone wants to try yeah, it, but, but with that's the, not your main thing. With the luau, you can definitely get away because it's it's just a barbecue, basically. You know, it's done a little differently and there's some different flavors there, certainly. Um, but, you know, chicken and beef and, and some barbecue is kind of what you're getting to. Um, you know, Mexican food obviously can be banging... In Southern California, I mean, it's hard to turn down good Mexican food. I don't care where you're from. Obviously, the spice level changes from person to person, but you don't necessarily have to put a bunch of serranos and a bunch of chilies in the food. But, you know, some good carne asada, some good burritos, some good street tacos. I mean, that could be fantastic as well. It's going to be interesting. I, I have a hunch maybe they go back to the well with the luau. I think, just I think so, too. You know, not as many uh, Polynesians on this visit, this Golden Hour visit, but I still think they're going to hit the, the luau. If you go straight barbecue, it's a little hit and miss in Southern California. That's the one I would say the street style New York pizza is really hard to get in Southern California. And it's hard to get like good Southern style barbecue, which, you know, even barbecue in itself, you'll have people debate, you know, what's the best barbecue? Is it Memphis style? Is it Texas style? Is it uh, uh, Carolina style? Carolina, I, I I like Memphis. I'm actually a big Memphis fan. I don't like the Swedish type of uh, barbecue. Um, I like kind of more of a, a vinegary sort of, or even mustard based, which is more North Carolina. But nevertheless, yeah, you could get 
people that may, you know, take offense or be a little picky as to what type of barbecue you're serving, especially if you got somebody coming from the South, from Georgia, and they're like, yeah, y'all don't know barbecue. And, and I, I don't know the staff who are from Texas. I don't know what their barbecue credentials are. I don't know. But if you're Lincoln Riley and you're thinking about doing traditional barbecue, you better fly some dude in from <laughs> Memphis and it's, he just goes by smoke. And that's all he does. You better fly in some dude who's been barbecuing for 40 years. And yeah, that if you want to wow some people, that's why I think they'll do a luau because you want to give them something I different. Guess, like, uh, yeah, different that An they're experience. not used to. You know, you don't want to give them right. pizza. You don't want to give them, you know, they can get pizza anywhere. You want to give them some that experience that, uh, you know, a kid from, you know, Jasper, Texas isn't going to get or a kid from. Uh, Clearwater may not necessarily get from uh, in Florida, you know, you, so you want to just give someone a, a different experience than what they would normally have. And I think a luau does that while doing it in a safe way where, you know, in terms of the food, you know, the, everyone is, is good with a, a roasted pork, you know? Well, and, and I think it's actually an easier call this year than last year because you don't have as many Polynesian mm-hmm. recruits. You know, there's, Again, we talked about it. There's that possibility it goes the wrong way. And there's been some talk about that on the Peristyle. But I think at Still the end of the day, it. It, yeah, it worked, though. I think at the end of the day, you know, the commitments speak for themselves. But this time around, I think because that factor isn't really there, it actually probably works more. And there's, you know, less of a risk factor of possibly offending someone. Um, so yeah, I think it's probably easier to do and it's still uh, something different. It's an experience. It's a party. It's a celebration. You know, it's food that goes hand in hand with that. So I think it works pretty well. I think it, it, it's probably the go-to for, for the staff. Um, but we'll see, you know, that'll be kind of interesting when, uh, the Instagram <laughs> pictures and videos go out. So we'll see. It does, you know, downplay our ability to sneak into the that event, if they were doing Mexican, you know, you and I could have like, <laughs> go as a you know, yeah, could have gone to the loading dock and uh, put on some. Um, uh, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, hey, we we know what we know what we're doing. On we're the right. cilantro boys. What are you gonna do? Yeah, we okay. That was a little more Italian than anything. That was a little tabarachi. That was a little tabarachi, but yeah, we can't you know work the grill. And I hope could you like get away with being on the grill like the taco grill, the flat top. Probably not. You'd be too busy, like trying to take. I'd be trying to take ghost notes. Everyone's meat would be burnt. It'd be. It would be terrible. I know that, yeah, basically, I just would suck at the cooking part. Of yeah, it yeah. And ruin it, and yeah, I'd get called out. Like, what's going on here? A Holmes. Uh, okay. Well, that just gonna... give everybody cilantro and onion arms. <laughs> that. Charlie. Gerard, unless there's anything you want to add, that is going to wrap up our golden hour preview. Thank you for taking the bulk of that and breaking down every and each category. I think it's time to move on. I think it's time to give some people some credit, Chris. Oh, you want to give some flowers. He wants to give some flowers out. Uh, Well, we have deemed some coaching credit. Gerard wants to give out some coaching credit. Which coach did you want to start with first? Well, I I mean, I think, you know, at this point in time, we are getting a true – look at the recruiting cycle and always say, you know, recruiting cycles are really two years. They're really looked mm-hmm. at in two year increments and it's not really year to year. And I think, you know, we're seeing some trends, we're seeing some things happen where 
you're impressed by how USC is recruiting specific positions. We already talked about Zach Hansen recruiting the tight end position despite of the it. lack of productivity at tight end. You know, I mean, again, this goes back before Lincoln Riley even gets on campus. And yeah, you do have to recruit against that. Even though you weren't here and you weren't coaching those players or using that scheme, you still have to sort of get the perception uh, out of the heads of these kids that used to watch USC football back in the Clay Helton era. So the fact that they're recruiting tight end as well as they are, I mean, you got to give Zach Hansen a lot of credit. Obviously, with Walter Matthews, uh, Lincoln Riley gets a lot of credit as well. He's one of those guys that Lincoln uh, decided to step up and, and be a very sort of personal recruiter for him. But at the end of the day, he's got to be very comfortable with the position coach and, and he did uh, we, say that he did add that you know he has a good relationship with zach hansen and, and zach hansen showed that he wanted him too so yeah zach was definitely a part of that as well yeah i saw zach hansen uh, over the weekend at the uh, elite camp and i was actually just i mean i saw him a couple times but when i first saw him he was walking up mcclintock and i was actually driving down mcclintock to go park in the uh, vermont structure and I just yelled out the window, Zach Hansen, Deuce Robinson. And I gave him a th thumbs up. And he just looked at me and he said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. You actually uh, did that. I did that. I actually did that. I just thought it'd be funny. Uh, Roy Manning. Uh, let's give Roy Manning some flowers, man. I mean, yeah. I, I know we're not at the end here uh, with the recruiting They're literally going to get every edge prospect in the nation. <laughs> but, I mean, the fact that you're able to get Braylon Shelby and David Peavy last year, okay, that's a hell of a duo. That's a mm -hmm. nice solid get keeping Braylon Shelby away from Texas was difficult. I mean, that, that had to be uh, something that kept Roy Manning up at night, uh, not just during the <laughs> summer, but maybe even, you know, during the season as well. So, you know, and a guy those stock sort as well just took off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, I think it was one of those things where early on he was like a three star and he, he slowly, but surely throughout the year uh, got ranked higher and higher. And again, you know, USC, landing some of the top high school seniors in the nation and not just guys that were ranked high as sophomores and juniors. Um, and then he's able to follow it up with uh, Atlanta Booker T four-star defensive end. We talked about him, Cameron Fountain, a guy that was in that outsiders category he was, they were playing from behind with Tennessee and, and, and able to land his commitment. Now we're not going to be naive and think that uh, all those sec teams are just going to stop calling him. Of course, they're going to keep recruiting him. But, I mean, just getting that uh, commitment, he was talked about specifically by Cameron as a guy that he showed him something outside of the usual. He showed him something outside of football, and it was something different for Cameron. And that was uh, one of the big factors for him. Now, obviously, you know, there were a lot of factors that played in with his mom and the family. But for Cameron himself, he spoke very highly of Roy Manning. And Roy Manning is a guy that with most of these kids that he's recruiting, they all mention him by name and they all talk about him and how they like how he recruits them, you know, and that's something that's, uh, that's, that's very specific and tells me that Roy Manning's doing something right on the recruiting trail. Uh, and, and then, you know, you've got Elijah Newby that he recruited, which he went out there, like we said, uh, you know, that first week of May evaluations and, uh, saw him, liked him and pushed for him. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, if he's running a 10, six, six, he got a diamond in the rough and that's another <laughs> guy that's probably going to rise up in the rankings. So I think you got to get your hats off for Roy Manning at this point, uh, with these two classes, what it's looking like. Um, he's doing a hell of a job. Um, Kyle McDonald, we've talked a lot about, 
uh, over the past year. You know, he did a great job last year. Again, getting two guys that were lesser known in Quentin Joyner and Marion Peterson and, and rose up in the rankings over time going into Texas and holding on to those two recruits. He's working it in Texas still. You know, you've got Taylor Tatum there, and uh, he's the number one guy for them. Uh, there's definitely some feeling like USC is the favorite here. We're going to see if he takes that Michigan visit because Michigan's already sort of making plan B. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's going to go to Oklahoma this weekend. So, you know, Oklahoma is, is a factor there as well. And um, I think that the way things are shaping up with the board and who they're bringing in and not bringing in on visits tells me that he feels good about Taylor Tatum. And to follow up, uh, the class last year with two more Texas running backs. It's, you know, something to go in out of state in a, a state like Texas where there's so much competition for recruits and be able to get guys and hold on to them. And so, yeah, you definitely have to uh, give your hats off, I think, for, for Kyle McDonald and and the job he's doing. And, and I think Dennis Simmons, the number the number one running back in the nation. The number one running back in the nation right now out of Longview. Uh, and Dennis Simmons, uh, we talked about him. In terms of uh, closing – you know, USC with uh, Jacoby Lane holding on to him despite Texas coming after him late, Arizona State coming on him late, um, the Makai Lemon and Zach Branch duo, which is a hell of a duo, uh, and getting, a, you know, Jordan Addison, by the way, if you forgot, <laughs> being able to get Brendan Rice, being able to get Dorian Singer. I mean, working both in the portal and with the high school ranks. I mean, if there's a blueprint for doing them both, and how you know the the best of both worlds that USC could have in recruiting, it's at the wide receiver position right now. And so you know Luke Hewitt's got to get a little shout out because he's doing a lot of legwork. He's mentioned a lot. Draylon Miller talks about him. Ryan Pelham talks about him. Um, and I think you know with Dennis Simmons being the associated head coach on the offensive side of the ball, I think he's laying back a little bit in the cut and he's just waiting for these official visits. And that's sort of where they close. And so we'll see what they're able to do with Mike Matthews, Draylon Miller, and Ryan Pelham. Um, this weekend, but um, I think you know you you got to give a shout out in terms of the players that they have potentially on the docket right now in this class, and then obviously last class, and then include the portal. So I, I think you know just right now, just you know that there's other coaches who are doing a great job. You know, uh, Josh Henson did a, a really good job I think uh, last cycle, um, but I think you know right now these guys, you know, the debate. And the question came up on the peristyle, you know, do we have any elite recruiters? And Dante Williams' name comes up, and we didn't make, mention Dante here. He, he's got a couple guys still floating out there. We'll see what he does with them with Xavier Brown and uh, Marcellus uh, Williams after he was able to lock down Dakota uh, Fields, which was a huge commitment for USC. Uh, USC really only needs, you know, two of but really getting one of those guys was was great right that's what we talked about going into the summer like you want to get one out of those three you got to get one of those local guys and then potentially you go out and get Solomon Bridges from Texas or you know there's another guy that you can get at cornerback a true cornerback that you compare him with and right now it looks like you know maybe USC doesn't have to go out of state for any quarterback. So that in itself, you know, tells you again, Dante Williams doing Dante Williams things. Uh, but some of these other guys that that haven't necessarily gotten a whole lot of depth. Yeah, I think it was important to kind of, uh, you know, just give people a little bit of an update as to what's happening and looking at the bigger picture in terms of recruiting uh, the positivity and, and the, the momentum right now that they have at the high school level. You know, we know with the recruiting portal, USC has been doing very well. But, you know, the question has always been, when and where do they make their stand in terms of developing the culture from the high school level up? Because 
you know, there's that argument to be made. Look at recruiting the portal is a lot easier. And maybe you can do that and you can have mercenaries come in and still buy in and still have a good culture. But the top teams of college football right now, your Georgia's, your Alabama's, your Clemson's, your Ohio State's, et cetera, those teams are still going into the high school ranks and they're still getting the majority of the players out of high school. It looks like this is the year. This is the summer. Only having three commits over the spring, uh, really for the majority of the spring, you only had one commit. Uh, you kind of wondered, maybe this is not the year USC decides to do what Lincoln Riley has said they wanted to do is eventually, you know, go into the high school ranks and really start to focus more on the high school football players. But now, you know, with that big weekend and looking at this weekend and some of the guys that they could close on, this is going to be perhaps the year where the high school football class is sort of leading the way and is what you talk about more than the guys they get out of the portal. Good work deserves some good praise. So that's what we wanted to do in this segment, or Gerard wanted to do with this with this coaching credit for the guys doing some good work as USC is continues or hopes to continue their impressive start to June as we enter the middle of June and seeing if they can close up with some more guys after the golden hour. And that'll take us to our final topic before we take our break. And that is looking back at USC's much smaller an intimate recruiting weekend that only featured two official visitors, both from St. John Bosco. We talked about it last week. That was safety Peyton Woodard, who is committed to Georgia. And then their priority linebacker for the class in Kingston, Viliama Asa. Both of those Bosco boys were on campus. USC went all out in terms of them just being the lone two guys on campus. You know, they went out to Nobu. The whole staffs were involved with this weekend and courting these two guys. They brought Troy Polamalu on, which was obviously a a two for one in terms of you know him being a Polynesian legend in football for Kingston Viliamasa, and then obviously being one of the greatest safeties to ever play the game with Peyton Woodyard there, a safety prospect. So a two for one there. You know USC was doing all they can for these guys. I draw. I don't know about you. We both had them in the closer section. Obviously, I did not expect either of these guys to maybe you know, come out and make a commitment to USC, you know, for Peyton Woodard to come out on Monday and like flip his commitment to USC or Kingston to maybe shut it down on Monday or Sunday or what have you. I didn't feel like they, I felt like they were steadfast in their process for this month, you know, and taking the rest of their visits, you know, Peyton is taking more officials, even though he's committed, but you know what I'm saying? Like they were going to go through, they were going to see the month out before kind of making a decision or, you know, with Woodyard sticking with Georgia, what have you. I just didn't think that both of them or either of them were going to come out and maybe make a commitment if they felt like that. I just feel like they were going to go through the entire process as a whole. I think expectations were they would go through the process. Granted, I felt with Kingston, there was a slight possibility he, he sure. might shut it down. I think sure. USC was definitely pushing for that. Sure. <laughs> they would have sure. liked. Absolutely, yes. To, to have had him shut it down right then and there. I think with Peyton Woodyard already being committed to Georgia, that is a process. That is something that's going to happen. We've seen it happen with guys like Elijah Page where, you know, the rumors start and then it's sort of that process of breaking away from the team you were committed to, then taking the visit, and then, you know, subsequently committing thereafter. So we'll see what marathon, happens. marathon, not the sprint. Peyton Woodyard. And I think that is a a good way to put it in terms of him and Georgia 
Ohio State is a player for him as well, and he's going to take his official visit there this weekend. And I think, uh, you know, USC really did make that a unique, special official visit in such a way that's going to be hard to beat. Um, I just, you know, spoke with him. I was speaking with him kind of throughout the week, and uh, we were going back and forth, and he actually forgot to send me what he wanted in the story, you know, because I understand that when you're committed to another school, there's a lot of drama that can be had from quotes about a school that you just visited. And so you want to be respectful. Um, I've been doing this for 20 years. I know how it works. And I'm not about that drama. I'm just not. I don't think that I, I know for some people it's clicks, but I know that it plays badly uh, for the kids themselves. Uh, if you have quotes in there or anything in there uh, that is uh, controversial, you know, those uh, coaches that uh, have your commitment are going to not take that well and you're going to get your phone blown up, et cetera. So it's one of those things where, you know, he definitely wanted to be appreciative of everything that uh, he experienced at USC and he experienced a lot. And one of the more interesting things obviously was uh, the meeting with Troy Palomalu. And uh, he shared with me some of his pictures when he was six years old at Halloween, where he was wearing a Troy, Troy Palomalu jersey. He had the pads, he had the hair, he had everything. Wow. He, he, he was all scarred up looking because it was Halloween. So he had to look a little bloody as well, you know. And uh, so <laughs> it, it was pretty cool. And he, he got to share those photos even with Troy. He had him on his phone or his mom had him on, his, on, on her phone. And uh, so he wasn't, he wasn't just saying it. He, he really was a fan when he was a young kid of Troy Palomalo. That was kind of like his number one guy. So that was a, a really big moment being able to meet him and, and also being able to just meet him as a person because he's followed his career after football and everything he's done and some of the things he said. And so, yeah, it, it was a big visit overall, just not from a football standpoint, but also a personal standpoint. And I know that played very well uh, with him and his, and his family. Uh, Greg talked to Kingston and, you know, this set the bar for Kingston, uh, the visit, uh, but Ohio State has been the longtime leader for him and they're going to get their visit. And so it's going to be a little bit about, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, does he want to stay home and does he want to stay home, play for the home team, play in front of his family? I think that's kind of what is going to the decision is going to come down to and you know we'll see we'll we'll see how it shakes out for him but he's certainly been number one on USC's board they've shown that they've uh, gone above and beyond you know in terms of uh trying to you know welcome him and his family this is the first time I think his dad has been on a visit with him and so you know I think they're in a good position for both long term I might even say that they're in a better position for Peyton Woodyard. Um, but I think, you know, these are both guys that USC wants and they want to lock down, but it does transition us into the next segment when we start talking about timelines and commitments. But as a good teaser, which we don't usually have good teasers before the break, we're going to talk about that after the break. Yeah, our teasers are usually all over the place. Maybe don't make No, Chris, a lot that of is where you actually were supposed to go into the break. Oh, you missed it. See? No, it's okay. We're st we're still there. We're still there. So we'll come back and see what the heck Gerard Hurricane is talking about after we take this quick break.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. See, I think we handled that that pretty well. You know, I, I think it was okay. I think it would have been better if you just went or went into the break. Oh, after you would I think it was better if it was a good break. After the break. I, uh, I was segueing. Like you were segueing. Okay, we'll pick up where you left. Actually, I'll pick up because I'm the host of this, this damn thing. But yes, what Gerard was alluding to is something he has deep dubbed, or it has also been alluded to on Twitter as the Riley rocket ship. And as you know, that's what a rocket ship does is it goes way fast, straight up in the air. And that is kind of the trajectory of USC's clash right now. So you better jump on or you're going to get left behind. And that's kind of what Gerard is talking about in terms of which prospects are going to get left behind, which guys are going to decide to jump on early, who are not. Have you made your decision for Christ? Have you made your decision for Christ, Gerard? Are you going to jump on the Riley rocket ship? Well, one of the other more important things to mention about the rocket ship is that there aren't a whole lot of spots on the rocket ship. It's Mm -hmm. not a caravan, Chris. It's not a bus. They don't send 100 astronauts to space, Gerard. They send like six. Exactly. And so what we've seen here in the past week or so is some hard decisions being made. And, you know, I don't want to get into too many specifics because some of this is off record comments. Some of this is stuff that's happened behind the scenes. And, you know, it's one of those things that you don't necessarily want to call out uh, specific uh, recruitment. And, um, you know, that that always gets taken in. in sometimes the message boards just run with it in the wrong way, (laughs) completely wrong direction. And so uh, what is important to talk about here is just that there are some positions that are filling up very fast and there are some good players, some players that are actually at the top of the board for USC that may not end up in the class purely because USC at this point is really pushing to get the class done. There has been some pressure here to wrap things up uh, from what we've been told. And so you do have some potential players here. Um, Again, not necessarily players where you're saying USC is dropping them because that's not really the accurate way to describe it. It's more, listen, we've got some guys that uh, we like and we like you the most, but we really want to get this class done And we don't want to wait another month or two to get the class done. And so in some regards, it's, you know, uh, 
bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. But more accurately, I guess in this context, it's a bird in the hand is better than a bigger bird in the bush. So it's one of those things that from a valuation standpoint, it's a little bit of a gamble if you're letting guys go uh, because, you know, they're not necessarily ready to make a decision right here, right now. Um, but, you know, if you feel good about some of your other guys on the board and there's not that big gap, I think that uh, you, you make that move. You know, you're aggressive. And, and I think, you know, maybe one example here to, to, to kind of make it a little more uh, specific for folks. I mean, I think with, you know, Taylor Tatum is, is a good example of where. I think USC likes him at the top of their board, and there might be a bit of a gap between the next best guy. So with Taylor Tatum, I think they've been a little more patient, and they would love you know, to get a, a commitment from him ASAP, uh, but it hasn't happened. Now, there are other running backs on the board. Again, I think there's a bigger gap there, but with other players, maybe that gap isn't as big. And so on USC's board, it's like, look it. We want to get some commitments here. And if that player's like, you know, I'm not really thinking about committing here now. It's like, listen, the rocket ship, it's already started. You can see the smoke. You can see everybody's getting ready They're for doing that their sucker to take off. What was that? They're doing their pre-checks. They're doing their pre-checks. Uh, they're, they're, they're ready to maybe start the countdown here in a few weeks. So you either get your place. And you lock it in, you know, whether it's public or private, uh, it's getting ready to take off. And so we've seen that. So that so that aspect is something that you do have to consider as well with uh, some of these recruitments. You know, if there's some guys uh, that were penciled in and you said, OK, this is a guy, you know, going into the summer is looks like he's going to be a Trojan before maybe the end of the summer or, or at least towards the beginning of the season. And um, all of a sudden things have changed. It's because there's other guys all of a sudden now that are saying, hey, you know, I want to be a part of the process. And you get commitments from guys like, let's say, uh, Manasseh Atete, who you may have not come into the summer thinking this is going to be a guy that we get committed. Now, again, there's downsides to this. And so there's a little bit of a gamble because you could always potentially have guys decommit. And you could have them and I say, Tete decide, oh, you know what? I, I kind of want to go check out this school. Maybe one of his teammates is being recruited by Oregon and they get up for an unofficial visit and he's just there to quote unquote uh, support his teammate. You know, I've seen a lot of that over the years. And all of a sudden that unofficial visit goes really well. And then he comes back up the next week for an official visit. You never know how these things are going to necessarily play out. So you don't want to burn bridges. And so that's, you know, a little bit of a, a, a gamble there um, if you're pushing to get your class done sooner rather than later. But certainly from everything we've heard, there's probably three or four guys here that we're looking at that might be top players that we thought we'd pencil in that might not be a part of the class because there's going to be other guys that are ready uh, to pull the trigger sooner. And again, uh, it's a matter of, you know, where are they on the board? You know, if there's a big gap there and, uh, you know, USC, maybe they're a little more patient. Uh, but in other situations where they feel like, eh, you know what? Oh, we like this guy, too. We like the other guy more. But this guy's ready to commit now. They may go that route. Was this what it was like in the Pete Carroll heyday? The rocket ship metaphor? 
comparison? Yeah, I mean, there were certain times where you did get that, you know, there's two guys and it's kind of, you know, whoever commits first, you know, it's it's first come, first serve in terms of commitments. But you felt with USC, nine times out of 10, it was going to be the higher ranked player they were going to have a really good shot at, and they'd end up closing that deal. Uh, whereas Any examples? Here, uh, no, not not off the top of my head. I don't have any examples where there is two different players, and uh, it was. Don't worry. You know, in twenty minutes, he's going to have the example, and then he's going to get it. <laughs> well, I immediately started thinking about the running back position, and there was probably a couple of examples there where there were some guys, but you know, there was some instances where you know USC takes like six guys, seven guys at running back uh, a couple of those years. So, um, you know, again, it, listen, we're also in June. And we've got a little bit of ways to go. And there are things that are going to happen. There are going to be losses. There are going to be coaching changes. And not speaking about USC necessarily, but certainly within college football. And so things can change as well and shake out a little different. I will say, you know, looking at the commit list now and looking at the amount of -of out-of-state players that USC is recruiting, they did do a good job last year of being able to hold on to those commitments, even on the defensive side of the ball, where the defense wasn't playing well at the end of the season. Now, they were lucky that they had a couple of those games played after the early signing period uh, or right up on the early signing period, and that didn't necessarily resonate with the defensive class, uh, but uh, they still did a good job locking down the guys that they got, whether they're in-state or out-of-state. So, you know, we always are a little tempered in our enthusiasm, knowing that, okay, the season starts, guys, you know, they have this unlimited amount of official visits that will play potentially well with local recruits because there's always that I don't need to take an official visit to USC because I've been there a bunch unofficially. Well, now it doesn't really matter. It's not like you're wasting that official visit. You have an official visit to USC if you want an official visit to USC. So that can also play and be a factor down the line as we get closer to signing day. Obviously, this is the first year that that has been a factor, so we're not sure how it's going to be utilized by these recruits, but certainly it takes away the excuse, if you will, that I've been to USC a bunch of times officially. I don't want to waste one of my five official visits on going to USC when I could use that to go see a school I've never seen before. Never? You still don't? I'm still, I still think you're going to come up with an example 20 minutes later. I still think it's going to happen. Moving on. Uh, Moving on. And Gerard was actually on campus once again for the elite camp. Number two, Gerard, not as many standout performers on this list as you had for your first elite camp recap, but you were impressed by some guys there for number two camp. Yeah, there were quite a few standout performers. The difference between this camp and the first camp was that USC had the positions basically all on different fields. So the first camp, they brought over quarterbacks and receivers over to Howard Jones Field. You had defensive backs working there. This camp, you had uh, a rotation that went on at Loker Stadium for a while. Like it was for probably the majority of the camp. And they just went through rotational drills, which you have to sit in the stands. You can't really be on the field, which garnered the ire of some of the family members and some of the high school coaches that were there. Uh, They weren't real happy about that. But nevertheless, that's where USC chose to do a majority of the sort of rotational generic drills. 
And then when they broke up to do Indo, the quarterbacks and receivers actually stayed over at the track field. And then the running backs went up top to the McKay field, which is that little small field in front of the John McKay Center. And it was the linemen, offensive defense, and the defensive backs who ended up over on Howard Jones field uh, and Kennedy field. So everybody was just a lot more spread out. It was me running solo last weekend. So, you know, I could only be on so many fields and see so much. And I wanted to see specifically uh, Louisville, Texas, four-star 2025 offensive tackle, Michael Fasusi. And he has a scholarship offer from USC. That was one of the main differences about this camp as opposed to the first camp. First camp, you didn't have any prospects who actually came into the camp with scholarship offers. This camp, you actually had a few guys who already had scholarship offers from USC. So the big group that came in kind of at the last minute was this group from the distinctly his college tour, which is a conglomerate of the true buzz. A conglomerate? Texas You're dropping conglomerate? Of the true buzz Texas seven on seven squad and the West coast true buzz squad. And so they've kind of been brought together. They're taking these kids on college tours. And so that whole group of 40 plus kids showed up late and was really where the abundance of talent was in terms of scholarship offers and the guys that USC has been recruiting. And so um, Michael Fasushi was a part of that group. And, you know, we don't get to see the offensive linemen too much. So I wanted to get over to see the offensive linemen and watch them. So I watched him, a good looking prospect, not a lot of bad body weight, uh, good feet. Um, you know, fairly long arms, but pretty proportionate as offensive tackles go. He plays right tackle for Louisville, and I think that's where he lines up in college. Possibly kick him down the guard, but I think he has the athleticism where he can play offensive tackle. I just don't know if he's your prototypical left tackle. So he was a good-looking player. We watched him. Uh, one of the best-looking players just off the huff walking through registration was Marion Robinson, a 2025 um, safety at a little rock, Kansas. And he was a part of this big Texas group as well. Uh, good looking prospect, uh, just a really good looking kid has a scholarship offer already from USC. Uh, we got to see, uh, IMG Academy quarterback. Uh, he's a three-star, he might be a composite four-star, uh, Jamar Malone. Now I've talked about Jamar Malone in the past, looking at the 2025 quarterbacks. USC has not offered a scholarship to the 2025 class. Now there's a potential that Julian Lewis maybe reclassifies for 2025. And so, you know, that would obviously be uh, a big target for USC. They're already recruiting him and he's in the 2026 class. We've talked a little bit about him in the past, but Jamar alone is in the 2025 class. He looked very good. Again, didn't get to see a ton of him because they just came over sort of the last maybe hour to do one-on-ones uh, over on Howard Jones Field where, you know, the linemen were already the defensive backs were. So once the receivers and the quarterbacks and the defensive backs and everybody actually came over to Howard Jones Field, uh, I made my way over there to watch him, saw a couple reps, really nice spin on the ball, uh, put him in good areas. Jamar Malone's also a fairly athletic quarterback. He runs a bit. He's originally out of Gilbert, Arizona. He went to Hickley High School and uh, passed for like 4,200 yards, had like an insane year last year, uh, taking his team to the state championship. Now he's transferred over to IMG Academy. And I mean, he would love a USC offer. He'd be a guy where USC would instantaneously maybe become his lead school if they offered him a scholarship. Uh, he's been to USC before on an unofficial visit. He has yet. I think he was there. Sorry to interrupt. I think he was there for the Notre Dame game, and he came out early with his dad, and he seemed to have a really good relationship with Lincoln Riley. They were 
hugging on each other, you know, dapping each other up. So he looked like he was very in tune with Lincoln Riley and the staff already. Sorry, just wanted to add that. And he would be, like I said, a, a top uh, candidate to potentially get some crystal balls, I think, if he got that scholarship offer from USC. He hasn't gotten the scholarship offer yet, uh, so he's still looking for that. And we didn't think he was actually going to maybe work out. And uh, from talking to his coach – uh, that brought him out. It, it was kind of a 50 50 thing. And he just said, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm here. Like I need to, I need to get out there and work out for, uh, for the coaches and, and try to earn this scholarship offer. So still no quarterback offered in the 2025 class as of today. Uh, another player that we saw uh, was McKinney, Texas, oh, McKinney, Texas, the honey hole of Texas for USC. Uh, Taylor Mayo, 2027 cornerback, six, four, 170, 75 pounds. Um, one of the more impressive one-on-ones, considering he's 2027, another long, tall cornerback in the 2027 class. USC has a couple kids locally. They offered one of them in Jake Whitehead out of Inglewood, uh, a kid that's you know 6'2", 6'3", 175, 180 pounds. And uh, Jalen Hill is another kid who's probably 6'3", 160 pounds. Um, 2027 freshman to be, and a guy that did get a scholarship offer after the camp. Uh, Dante Williams was was all over him. <laughs> you could see uh, it was interesting because there was another kid out of the 2024 class, the first 2024 scholarship offer recipient we've seen at a camp uh, this summer, William Nettles uh, out of Texas. And William Nettles had a good performance, but it was interesting because after the camp. You know, he has technically a scholarship offer from USC. I think it's not really a committable offer. I don't think he's been – I know he hasn't been recruited very hard by USC. Um, had a good camp, but after the camp, Dante Williams was like right over on Taylor Mayo and like, yo, uh, what's your name? Uh, I'm going to offer you a scholarship sort of thing. Uh, you could just see that, you know, he was sort of like a, a, an early priority for Dante Williams. And so uh, Taylor Mayo already has – uh, a few different scholarship offers. So he's going to be one of those big time kids in the 2027 class. So it was fun to be able to watch him. Another kid who got a scholarship offer from the camp was Oaks Christian running back Deshaun Rideau, uh, a 5'10", 180 pound, very well built 2026 running back. Uh, looked very good, looked explosive, you know, in his first step. We we're watching him a little bit in those drills. Again, didn't get to see him in one-on-ones because they were over on the McKay field, which was you know, basically on another planet at that point, trying to get around um, to uh, all the different fields to see all the different players. But um, it was a, a, a smaller camp, I think a, a better camp in terms of ratio of talent than the first camp. And then we'll have one more elite camp, which I predict is probably going to be the best one in terms of having uh, the most local stars. It tends mm. to be, at least from last year, that was the camp when we saw Dijon Lee, we saw Dakota Fields, uh, we saw you know most of the sort of underclassmen uh, that USC liked uh, certainly locally show up. And so um, hopefully it's, it's the best uh, attended camp uh, out of the three. And our final kind of small, not maybe small, but kind of final topics we wanted to touch on for the end of this podcast – uh, the thing we talked, uh, uh, Gerard mentioned earlier when we were talking about the golden hour was that Clackamas center Devin Brooks did end up committing to Oregon. So that has taken one center prospect off the board. And as we mentioned last week, Brooks and Jason Zandamella were kind of the two 
setter guy. So now USC trying to eye in and lock in Jason on his official visit this weekend. Yes, Jason Zandamella, not to be confused with Zach Velikanakis. Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> I said it better. And then the other kind of point, Gerard kind of mentioned Julian Lewis and that kind of talk that he might reclassify to 2025 from 2026. There was even talk of him jumping two classes to 2024, which is just crazy to think about. But, you know, he is projected to be the number one overall prospect in 2026. Have to figure he would be a top prospect in 2025 as well. And kind of makes it interesting for Lincoln Riley, who just offered a 20. All these things kind of be lining up to maybe this happening. But Lincoln Riley did go ahead and offer a 2026 quarterback in Helman Kasuga out of Tempview, Utah. He was a freshman starter there at the end of the season, kind of split time early before taking over in the final, uh, I think, nine games of the season. Through for completed 73% of his passes for 854 yards and nine touchdowns. So a six foot, 185 pound quarterback, a talented and uh, young youngster at as a freshman. But USC went ahead and made that offer. Lincoln Riley went ahead and made that offer in 2026, which you know begs the question because Julian Lewis was obviously their guy in the 2026 class that they'd offered. So that kind of speaks to writing on the wall that maybe Julian Lewis is going to go. Go ahead and reclassify. And then the other kind of uh, domino is that Elijah Brown, after a Stanford visit, went ahead and said that he probably isn't going to make it out for his USC official visit at the end of the month, which was scheduled for June 23rd. So a lot of moving pieces for Lincoln Riley across many different cycles going on right now. Yeah, that last official visit weekend, kind of a catch-all for USC. At least it was last year where you had you know three or four prospects that looked like they were scheduling visits for that weekend and it just kind of sort of fell apart a bit and you really only had Landon Hatchett the center prospect from Washington who took a early week visit I think it was like a Monday Tuesday visit instead of actually coming in on the weekend and you know USC was still recruiting Micah Benuelos who had just gone on his Oregon visit on that last weekend so they were probably kind of figuring out all right you know can we close the deal with uh, Benuelos we still want to bring in Landon Hatchet but there were a few other players that we thought might take official visits that last weekend and they didn't and it's kind of looking like this year we might see the same thing might see the same thing so yeah we'll see what that Final visit weekend ends up being, but USC's 2020 or 2024 QB search continues to be interesting. What happens with Julian Lewis will dictate a lot what happens for 2025 and possibly even 2024 if they even need to take a quarterback for that cycle. And then obviously a new quarterback offer is always interesting when it's a Lincoln Riley quarterback offer like we have with Helaman Kusuga. So that's going on. Gerard, we are at the end of our show. I know I said I'm not going to do listener questions, but I did want to read one email that came in from Coach B in San Diego. Hey, my dudes, love the new intro and the new two-star pod logo player card thing. Dude, you know what I'm talking about. Don't make this weird because I forgot the word. Question for you. Is there a new email for listener questions? I got love for season two, Coach B in San Diego. Coach B, there is no new email. Gerard, I have no idea what's going on behind you. It sounds like someone's washing 
a mini Hot Wheels car in your, in your washing <laughs> machine or something. I don't know. It's I don't a know water what's going heater. On. It's oh. the water heater is going well, off. I, I can hear it sounds like uh, two whales having sex in the background. It's it's a lot that's going uh, on. Uh, what? Yeah. Don't ask Listen, me how I know what that sounds like. Uh, you have to sign on the line which is dotted. And also remember, I got love for coach. Because only one thing counts in this life. Get them to sign on the line which is dotted. Coach B, there is no new email. As always, if you want to send an email to us for a potential listener question on the show, that's podcast at uscfootball.com. Just put the Cilantro Boys two-star whatever so it'll go to my inbox. So no new email for season two. It's the same one. Shout out, Coach B. That is the only question I'm going to be reading because I have to get to the Elite 11 workout. Plus, I still have to edit this show so you have it bright and early for Thursday morning. Gerard, is there anything you want to say before we get out of here? Nothing. Nothing. Your water heater will do all the talking. I am Chris. That is Gerard. We will catch you next time on Composite Two Star Recruits. That leopard sucks!